What's up guys, this is Jacques, welcome back to Unpopular. I am flying solo today, so we're just going to catch up on some of the latest reality TV and a few hot topics. I'm still on the hunt for new theme music, but I haven't found the right vibe yet. I was on this like theme song studio website the other day and they had these badass like punky rock songs and kind of like alt country, but like cool country with like fuzzy guitar riffs, not like redneck pickup truck stuff. I loved them, but then I was like, you know what? My gay listeners will not be able to cope with that because most gays are scared of guitars unless they're in an Ashley Simpson song. So I think it's back to the drawing board for me with that one. A few of you have reached out to me sending me well wishes and concerns because I mentioned a few times on the podcast that I've had some family stuff going on. I may as well just tell you what has been going on because it is super annoying when someone is like cryptically hinting that something bad has happened, but they don't want to say what it is. It's like posting hospital selfies for attention. So everybody on like your Twitter or your Facebook will be like, oh my God, are you okay, babe? Like what happened? And then you like, don't tell them because you just want like more comments. I hate that and I would never do that. So, look, basically my dad passed away last weekend. I'm doing fine, so you don't have to worry. It wasn't a shock or anything. He had cancer and it was a gradual decline over the past year, so I wasn't suddenly blindsided or anything like that. I was definitely prepared for it. And he was actually alive a lot longer than the original diagnosis, so he was kind of on borrowed time for the last few months, so I've been very prepared for it. We were really close, but we did live in different states, so even though we would speak, like, multiple times a week, if not daily, we would only actually see each other physically, like, once every few years, because he was sort of a bit nomadic, and I just am very particular about, like, traveling and where I am. Like, I'm really into my, you know, own space. The last time a few years ago that I had, like, a a proper- this is before he was sick, but when I had, like, a proper visit with him, I was, like, such a diva. Like, (laughs) I was sending through, like, you know, I need to have, like, these kind of pillows and, um, you know, what will the temperature be and what will we be eating? Like, I have to have, like, everything perfect so I know I'll be comfortable. I do the same when I go to stay at my mum's. Like, if I get there and the pillows aren't right, I'm like, you know, take me down to the department store. Like, I'm buying new pill- pillow. Like, I just have to have everything, like, my way because I'm just sort of, like, really used to doing my own thing all the time. So, I'm just, like, very particular about everything. So, I would only see my dad, you know, every few years. Um, And he didn't really travel to see me. He never had any money. But we did talk all of the time. Like, we have very similar personalities. And we would always send each other, like, you know, voice notes over the phone and stuff. That was mostly how we talked. Just, like, back and forth voice notes all the time. And, you know, when he got sick, there were these insane COVID travel restrictions during, like, a lot of the length that he was sick for. So, I did only end up seeing him, like, in person a few times over the last year, like, when I would go to visit. And then, of course, it's, you know, expensive to pay for, like, hotels and flights and everything and get time off work. So, you know... I think it uh, has been easier for me going through this... um, having the distance because it's not like I was seeing his physical decline right in front of my eyes on a day-to-day basis. It was more just like getting less messages over time and, you know, less frequent responses from him over time until they stopped. So, I was able to kind of acclimate myself to the situation without, you know, a ton of stress. Whereas I feel like if I was there in person in the same city as him, and obviously I would have been like visiting him every day or staying there, That would have been a lot harder because it's like you can't really avoid it. Like it's, you know, it's right in your face and you can just see it like physically as someone starts slowing down and getting sicker. So, I didn't have to deal with that. Um, You know, as far as how I've been handling it, I've just been staying busy and keeping the same routine. Not a whole lot has changed. You know, with my personality type, I'm actually really good at handling like huge things like this because I just kind of accept it as like a fact of life. You can't change it. It is what it is. Whereas like minor inconveniences kind of enrage me and stress me out because like little things you can so easily avoid. So when they still happen and I'm like, why is this happening? Like, you know, you didn't have to block me on the escalator or something. You could have been polite and aware of your surroundings and moved to the side instead of clogging it up with your 10 fucking kids. That pisses me off. When it comes to, like, big stuff like this, I'm just like, well, you know what? It It is what it is. Like, you can't really change it, right? So, you just have to accept it and do the best that you can with it. 
you know, I've kept the same routine for the most part. I haven't really changed anything. Um, although I'm not looking forward to going to the funeral, really. You know, I just don't want, like, heaps of attention on me. And I don't want people repeatedly asking me how, you know, I'm doing and how I'm feeling. Like, I just kind of want to get it over and done with and get back to Sydney. Um, I'm going to try pre-record an episode, so you have two episodes this week, but I mean, we'll see how I go. I don't know if I'll have time. You know what has annoyed me since his death, though, honestly, is like the wave of condolences I've been getting. Like, I don't mind people reaching out, but it was just too much too soon. Like, my dad actually kept his illness, like, very private during the whole thing, and he was only speaking to, like, a really small circle of people over the last few months especially. Like, I guess as he got sicker, um, his circle, you know, shrank. And, you know, me, myself, I had only discussed it with a couple of friends as well, so we were both handling it, I think, very low-key and privately in our own ways. And then when he died, it was like everybody on the planet suddenly knew and started reaching out to me. Like, everybody at my work found out very quickly, so that was a lot because I'm very private at work in particular, like, in the five or six years that I've worked at my job, um, I've never once attended a work-related social function. Like, whenever people ask me why I'm not going to the Christmas party, I'm like, I see you fucking people every day. Like, why would I spend more time with you outside of work? Like, enough already. But they did all chip in and send me some beautiful flowers to expensive bouquets. So, that was amazing because I love flowers. And my work has honestly been really good and really accommodating throughout everything and just like very supportive. So, I do appreciate that. By the way, um, if any guys are listening and you want to date me, just send me flowers because that's my weak spot. I'm obsessed with flowers. <laughs> uh, but look, anyway, the work thing didn't actually annoy me because they've been really good. But what did piss me off was my old high school friends, like, bombarding me the literal day he died. So, I have this high school friend, right? Like, let's just call her Sarah. We were, like, definitely close during high school, but I moved out of home and, like, left my hometown, like, by myself when I was 16 to go live, you know, in Sydney. And, you know, I was living independently then and, um, you know, I left everyone back in my hometown, which is, like, much smaller. And I didn't really see that much of my school friends after that or keep in close contact. Like, there's a couple of, like, you know, besties that I'm still tight with now, but... As for a lot of them, we definitely, you know, lost contact as you do when, you know, you leave school and everything. And this Sarah girl, like, I've probably seen her maybe twice in, like, 10 years. Um, Well, her mother is friends with my dad, and while he was sick, I guess Sarah found out through her mum. And as soon as she found out, she started trying to call me repeatedly and was, like, texting me, like, you know, I need to talk to you. And... We didn't even have each other's phone numbers, by the way. Like, she got my number off a different school friend, so I didn't answer her calls, and I wrote back, and I was kind of playing dumb. I was like, you know, hey, girl, you know, what's up? Hope you're well. Uh, And she's just like, oh, I want to talk to you about your dad, and, you know, my mum wants me to pass on some information. Like, first of all, like, I've barely spoken to her in a decade, and secondly, like, both me and my dad have kept the whole thing, like, very private and... You know, I didn't really want to discuss it with, like, my close friends, let alone, like, old high school friends like Sarah. Like, really think I'm just going to get on the phone with you and start talking about something that personal? So, I was really pissed off, but, like, I knew that, you know, she meant well and, you know, even though she wasn't respecting boundaries, um... I was like, whatever, she's trying to do a nice thing. So, I wrote back a nice message and I was like, thank you you for your concern, but, you know, I don't really feel like discussing it. I'm fine. Like, you know, I hope you're well. Take care. And then she sends me back this huge fucking message, like, about my dad's medication and his pain management and how her mum and my dad are best friends, which they aren't, by the way. They were like regular friends who didn't even live in the same state who kept in touch occasionally on Facebook. They were not best friends. So, I was fuming because I'm just like really with this long message. And again, like I was sort of trying to just, you know, try not to like dwell on it and think about it too much. I'm just like doing my thing. And she's like shoving this, my dad's, you know, my dying dad in my face, basically. Like, you know, I'm dealing with things okay with him and I was still in contact with him all the time and talking to him, but I don't need like other people, you know, just shoving in my face, like I said. Um, 
And then I told my dad actually that she had reached out in the way that she did and he was really pissed off and then he blocked her. No, he blocked her mum or he unfriended her or something because, like, the mum wasn't supposed to have told anybody. Like, I said, it was a very private matter. And me and my dad are, like, really, we have very, very similar personalities. So something like that would infuriate, you know, both of us, uh, you know, like betrayal of trust or whatever. So, look, fast forward to last weekend, my dad dies. And the day that it happens, she sends me, Sarah, this is, sends me this long over the top message about it. Like she'd obviously found out through her mom and it was all this stuff like, you know, you mean so much to me, you know, um, you've had such uh, an effect on my life, just like your dad did, you know, with my mom, like so fucking over the top. And again, like, I know she means well, and I actually have nothing against her besides this. Like, she's nice. Like, prior to this, if I had you, she was in the same city as me or something, I would have hung out with her. It would have been, like, good to catch up. Like, she's cool. But this was just, like, a lot. And, you know, again, we barely spoke in a decade. And even before that, our contact was sporadic at best. So, her texting me on the day that he died, like, I hadn't even spoken to my mum about it at that point, and I'm already getting messages from her. Um, And then she, on top of this, she went and told, like, everyone from our high school friend group, like, she must have just fucking had them on a text chain or something, like, oh, my God, did you hear that Jacques' dad died? And so I had, like, all of them messaging me as well, literally the day that it happened. Um, So that was just, like, overwhelming, and I hated that, especially because I am private, so just having, like, all these fucking people, like, blowing up my phone was just my biggest nightmare. Um, And that was like the most stressful part of it all, honestly, because I was trying to just handle it privately and you just keep my usual routine and everything. And then it's just like everyone I've ever met is like bombarding me and not even giving me kind of like any space. I just feel like you should wait like 24 to 48 hours and then send your condolences. Like don't do it like the second that you hear. Um, I mean, unless you're super close, if you're really close to someone like they're a best friend or a family member or whatever, of course, just reach out straight away. But if it's someone you haven't seen for years, like don't text them on the very day. Like it's just, there's just no boundaries. And I'm fine. And even if I wasn't fine, like, I'm pretty introverted, so I just handle things differently to other people. And, you know, if I need anything, I know there's people that I can reach out to on my own accord. Like, I just don't need, like, randoms, like, fucking crawling out of the cracks. Unless they send me fresh flowers, then it's okay. (laughs) I'll make an exception. Um, You know what's weird, though, is I'm trying to keep things business as usual, and I swear I keep getting signs, like everywhere to remind me of my dad. Like I was watching Housewives of New Jersey and Teresa was crying about, you know, her dad who died. And then I was at work and I had to write a story about Bindi Irwin giving birth and how she like named the baby after her late, you know, father, Steve. There's been like five things like that. And I know that it's not a sign from above though, because my dad would never reach out to me through reality television or the Irwins. Like (laughs) he was an unemployed artist who hated most pop culture, except for Ricky Gervais and Bill Burr. He was pretty much just like a tattooed communist who just like smoked and read books and played music all day. So I definitely know it's not him reaching out to me through Bindi fucking Irwin, but Whatever it is, something is going on where I cannot turn a corner without being reminded of dead fathers. But you know what's even worse than my dad dying? This season of The Real Housewives of New Jersey. It's really bad, you guys. My dad would be, like, rolling in his urn if he had to watch it. He would think that joke's funny, by the way, so don't get offended on his behalf. Like, where do you think I got my sense of humour from? But are you all actually enjoying Jersey for real? Like, I can't tell if I'm just being a hater or if it actually sucks. Like, this Jackie vs. Teresa cheating rumor storyline will not end. Um, You know, I don't mind a drawn-out storyline. I do like The Real Housewives of Beverly Hills, but this one's going nowhere. It's been six episodes, and we're still in the same place that we were in in episode one, I feel like. It's still like the same Jersey formula where everyone can be mad at Teresa, but not too mad because they need her to stay on the show. So even when she throws a tantrum, everyone has to kind of like chase her down and try and fix it. And it's, you know, it's all about making her feel good. So last episode, Teresa and Jackie got into it again. Like Teresa's promoting this new line of dildos and sex toys that she's doing. And she told Jackie to like shove a vibrator up her ass. And then Jackie said something about when Teresa went to jail. 
I mean, I'm glad that Jackie can stand up to Teresa. That's good. The jail comment was a bit unoriginal, though. I felt like she could have had some, like, better shade than that. But at least she's got Teresa shook, which we love to see. Um, Of course, typical Teresa fashion, she chucked a hissy fit, um, you know, because she's not used to anybody challenging her like that. And then she stormed off and the episode ended with this, you know, ominous to be continued can she just, like, go away and not come back? Like, she's such a fucking brat. It's just like watching a child every week. But to be fair, like, nobody else has anything interesting going on. Like, that's why Teresa gets away with it, because she is, like, the most entertaining one for the most part, as, like, much of a pain in the ass as she is. Um, I don't really care about any of the solo storylines. Like, I cannot stand Jennifer. She's just unbearable. Uh, I do love Margaret now. Like, she has actually grown on me over the years, and I tend to agree with her about kind of everything she says I agree with. But, I mean, that's about it. It's really just, like, the Teresa show. I actually feel like they should rename it. I'm not even joking. Like, it should just be called Teresa on Top New Jersey or some shit because everything just revolves around her and that's why it's boring. I want to try and get uh, Margaret and Danielle Staub on the podcast, actually. Not at the same time, obviously, (laughs) but, like, separately. You know, I feel like chatting to them about their lives and the show will actually be juicier and more entertaining than watching the actual show itself. What do you reckon? Today is the day. It's like I'm giving birth to my locker room baby. So this is not the first time I am seeing the locker room, but it's the first time the coaches are and the students and... Very importantly, Travis. This whole thing started with an idea I had to make over locker rooms for needy high schools. I tried watching The Dallas Housewives and there was literally a 10-minute scene about Stephanie buying lockers for homeless people or something. Like, who wants to watch that? Renovating a locker room? Are you joking? I would rather watch Lydia talk about Doug's balls than watch locker room renovations all day. Like, it's just abysmal television. It's such a bad season. Meanwhile, Brandy is still in hot water. This time, it's because she keeps bringing up Jesus and she got upset because the women saw this, like, fake shaman for- I don't know why they went there like a bonding session or something the shaman is actually stephanie's former hairdresser by the way i think it's just some gay dude that went to like burning man once and now he thinks he's a spiritual shaman but anyway brandy was upset over it because she thinks he's dark-sided and not a christian and she's basically turning into the god warrior from wife swap If you're not watching this show, which is most of you judging by the ratings, Brandy is the funny ex-cheerleader who got into a racism scandal last year. She has had a really rough time lately because on top of the whole racism thing, she's had like personal tragedy after personal tragedy. Her dog died. Um, I think her husband's like possibly cheating on her. Her little daughter was like in a car accident that killed her mother-in-law. She gets called racist every day on Twitter. She was suicidal. Like she's going through a lot. I told people on last week's episode actually to kind of like ease up on Brandy a little with the social media trolling and nobody has because (laughs) everyone is bashing her now for being a hypocrite with all the Jesus stuff. Like, isn't it obvious that she's turning to her faith for strength because she's had such a rough year? Like, yes, she's being a hypocrite. Yes, it's judgy and she shouldn't be judging everybody and bringing Jesus into it. But, like, have a little bit of understanding as to, like, why she's suddenly turned into a super uber Christian. Like, she obviously needs her faith right now during these tough times. So, let's practice a little compassion as Jesus would. I really hope that Brandy quits the show. That's, like, the rumour. She really needs to get off. I think she just needs to, like, focus on her mental health for a while. She can always come back. She's still young. Like, she has been a big part of the franchise, but she needs to just step away and, like, work on her own stuff and get away from some of the kind of, like, housewives, Twitter toxicity, because I just don't think that that level of kind of, like, social media backlash can be mentally healthy for anybody, especially someone that's kind of, like, fragile and going through a lot. By the way, uh, something juicy, Dallas-related, Claudia Jordan, who is one of my faves, and she was on the Atlanta Housewives for one season back in the day, she has confirmed that she actually tried out for Dallas this season. She had, like, a Skype interview with production. This isn't even the first time she's tried out for Dallas. She tried out for season, I think it was season three. And uh, I don't know what is wrong with Bravo that they not only got rid of her from the Atlanta Housewives, but they're not putting her on Dallas when she lives in like Dallas. 
Casting Claudia should be a no-brainer. Like, she's gorgeous. She has amazing, incredible shade. She's intelligent. She's witty. She brings some diversity to the show, which is obviously, like, a big, you know, trendy issue right now. This season has been so boring. And if Tiffany Moon wasn't on it, I don't think they could have even aired it. Like, it's would have been that dull without Tiffany Moon. So, bravo, if you are listening, bring in Claudia and Dallas will be saved. I feel like Claudia Jordan is the only thing that's going to save this sinking ship. I know the viewers hate Carrie the Mexican, but Carrie, Tiffany, and Claudia all have huge personalities and they all bring in like different kinds of diversity and perspectives to the show. And I just think those three on a cast would be great and definitely what the Dallas show needs. I just do not understand why Claudia Jordan has not been cast. Like, I. I don't know what's going on with Bravo. If I ever get a chance to interview Andy, like, I'm going to grill him on this Claudia Jordan stuff because I just think it's outrageous. <laughs> anyway, my prediction for Dallas is that it's probably going to end up on that Peacock streaming service because it has been a huge flop in the ratings. Oh, and I don't know who needs to hear this, but Deandra is the villain on this show. I keep seeing people on Twitter, like, standing Deandra now, which is, like, fine because, you know, she's good television. She does bring a lot, but... Do you not see what's going on? Like, she's pulling all the strings. She's such a shit stirrer. She'll do anything to be on TV and to be the Queen Bee. She's using Tiffany. Like, I believe Leanne Locker now with everything she pretty much has said about Deandra over time. And I really do think Deandra ran her off the show, like, behind the scenes. And you will all see the truth eventually. So, just remember that. Okay, let's get into my old foe, Lisa Vanderpump, and what a flop she is now. So, I watched the first two episodes of her new show, Overserved. Um, the whole thing is just set in her home, Villa Rosa, and she has celebrities over for dinner and chit-chat. I use the term celebrities loosely because there are some real has-beens on this show. Uh, it's so obvious that the only reason this was even greenlit in the first place is because they needed low-budget COVID-friendly content, so this would have been really easy to get on air because the entire thing is filmed on location inside her house. I wouldn't be surprised if she paid for the camera crew herself, kind of like um, Lydia McLaughlin did from the OC. She has a show on Peacock called... What's it called? Glitter Town. And it's her and her mum running around the OC, like, throwing glitter on people. And they paid for it themselves, so Peacock picked it up. Um, I'm wondering if at least Vanderpump did that for Overserved. But, yeah, there's no way that any network would waste money on this show if it wasn't for COVID. It doesn't actually even feel like a proper talk show. It has more of a, like, a YouTube vibe or, like, IGTV or... I don't know, like a Snapchat original or something. I don't know how it got on television. Uh, It reminds me of one of those Zeus network shows now that I think of it. So Zeus is this online-only streaming service where they do these really, like, cheap reality shows with influencers and, you know, like, old love and hip-hop stars. It's pretty lowbrow. Like, they gave Black China's mum a dating show. They had some of the rejects from the Bad Girls Club on. The shows are very heavily scripted, and most of them are all filmed on location in this, like, one mansion that I guess one of the, like, producers or the CEO or something of Zeus owns this mansion, and they just literally film every single thing there. And it's kind of like, even their various dating shows that they have, it's usually just the exact same concept for the show, but it's just, like, a different person leading it. I don't know. Imagine, like, a cheaper version of Flavor of Love. That's kind of what the entire Zeus network is. Well, Lisa Vanderpump could have been the first white lady on Zeus because Overserved is basically a Zeus show. So, episode one, she has Lance Bass and Vivica Fox on. Like, when I saw this, I was like, you're really launching the season with Lance Bass. Like, (laughs) I know that they're friends in real life, but you would think you would want to, like, set the bar a little higher for the rest of the season just to, you know, like, let people know, okay, well, you know, we're going to have some big names on here, not Lance Bass, who will, like, show up to the opening of an envelope. And Vivica Fox, I love her to death. Like, I actually want to have her on my podcast, and she'll probably do it because she does everything. Like, there isn't anything that Vivica Fox will turn down. It can be a YouTube show, a talk show, a reality show, like a huge movie with Tarantino, like, Everything, highbrow, lowbrow, Vivica Fox will do it. So anyway, Lisa Vanderpump has dinner with uh, Vivica and Lance and they share some rehearsed anecdotes, kind of like you would if you were going on like Jimmy Fallon or something. Um, It's the same format and that's kind of about 
all that happens. For some reason, her dumpy daughter Pandora is featured every episode too, and, like, Pandora has to be the least charismatic person to ever step foot in front of a camera. Like, Lisa has been trying to make Pandora happen for ten years now. She needs to give it a rest. Where would Pandora be in life if Lisa hadn't bought her a house and given her a job running her, like, wine line? Enough already. I'm like, I'm so over Pandora. Honestly, though... I'm not going to be too shady. I mean, I've been pretty shady already. But I will say the premise of the show isn't that bad. Like, it's definitely better than your standard talk show. Like, I would honestly watch Overserved before I would watch, like, Jimmy Fallon or James Corden or any of those guys. Like, it is better than them. Although those shows are, like, a zero out of ten. So, to be better than that, I mean, doesn't mean that you've got a good show. Um, It does feel more like a podcast or a YouTube show, kind of like how, you know, Joe Rogan's interviews, um, you know, they're filmed really well and they're in the studio and they're hanging out and, you know, smoking weed and stuff. This is kind of like a Lisa Vanderpump version of that. If they actually want this format to work on television, they do need, like, a professional comedian hosting it and, like, higher caliber guests than Lance Bass. Like, it doesn't work for a television show with Lisa Vanderpump. Like, she would have been smarter to make it, I don't know, It would have worked better if she'd made it, like, an extension of her podcast or something and, like, just, like, filmed it. I don't know. I mean, she already films interviews for that, too, though. Whatever. Anyway, it doesn't work because the ratings are a mess. Like, episode two, they had Cheryl Hines, who's kind of a big name, and um, is she a big name, actually? I mean, she's she's a respected name. I'll put it that way. And Joe... Joel, Joel McHale or from The Soup or whatever. Um, and that episode only got 170,000 viewers, which is, that's like abysmal. That's shocking. Like, that's so low. 170, it was, I think it was actually 169,000, if we're going to be specific. And you know what? I feel vindicated because I've been the biggest Lisa Vanderpump hater for years and years. I thought she was terrible on the last few seasons of The Housewives of Beverly Hills. And I had always said, like, please just get rid of Lisa Vanderpump and the show will be good again. And I think I was right. Like, Beverly Hills is doing great in the ratings. I've definitely been loving it ever since that last season where they got rid of Lisa with the Lucy Juicy thing. Um, I've been, like, hooked on Beverly Hills again, whereas before that it was probably, like, my least favourite of The Housewives shows. And Beverly Hills has been consistently at the top of the news cycle since LVP left. Like, of course, you had the Lucy Juicy thing, but then after that, the Denise and Brandy affair made worldwide headlines. It was still like a top trending story the other day because Brandy made a comment on an Australian show about how, like, Denise won't answer her emails or something. And I saw that still getting run in like page six and everything. So. I mean, that whole thing was the gift that keeps on giving. And now all this Erica Jane stuff with, like, Tom Girardi going down, and we're going to see that play out on the show in some capacity. So Beverly Hills is doing fine without Lisa Vanderpump. Like, I have not even noticed her absence. I feel like the show, if anything, has kind of gotten bigger in some ways. Meanwhile, Lisa's restaurants are all shut down. Vanderpump Rules might be getting cancelled. I mean, we haven't heard anything about Vanderpump Rules in, like... I don't know how fucking long. Overserved is officially a flop. Um, She has a podcast that flopped too. Like, nothing's working for Lisa right now. She also just got fucking roasted by Kelly Dodd, of all people, on Twitter. Uh, Lisa accused Kelly of skipping out on a bill at, like, Sir or something. I think Lisa was trying to, like... Lisa's very smart. Like, she knows what she's doing. So, I think that she was trying to, like, throw some names in the mix to, like, get a few headlines to promote Overserved. But I do think it back it backfired because Kelly destroyed her on Twitter and literally posted the receipt from the restaurant that proved that she had paid the bill. And Lisa actually had to give her like a groveling apology and be like, no, we'll, we'll roll out the red carpet for you next time you're at, you know, one of my restaurants, Kelly. Um, you know, I apologize. And I mean, Kelly won that battle. So it just gets from like bad to worse for Lisa. And I just feel like her entire brand is collapsing before our eyes, and I love to see it because she was so mean on Beverly Hills Housewives, like, with all of her manipulative BS and the constant lying and pulling the strings, like, and I spotted that pretty early on, and I felt like I really had to suffer through seasons and seasons of her delusional, insane fans who just refused to see it whatsoever would make every excuse under the sun for her. And I mean, it took like five years or something for them to finally take Lisa Vanderpump down and like get her off the show. Like her ego was out of control as well. And she was always playing the victim, which 
just really got under my skin. Like anytime she got called out on any of her behavior, she played the victim, she deflected. The way she treated Eileen was appalling. And that was like textbook gaslighting, bullying behavior. And we're kind of more aware of gaslighting now. And I feel like if what she did to Eileen, if that happened now, uh, I th- a lot of people would be on Eileen's side because a lot of people took Lisa's side at that point, at, at that time, and they brought into the the narrative that Lisa was painting that Eileen was, you know, a dog with a bone when Eileen had actually just been, like, gaslit and bullied and it was just awful. So, no sympathy for Lisa Vanderpump right now. And it is funny because when she did, like, leave the show, she kind of acted like, you know, she was too good for it, she was too above it, she has all these other opportunities, like, coming along and, like, everything's flopping. Like I said, the restaurants are shut down, overserved, flop. Vanderpump Rules may not be coming back. The podcast isn't working. Lisa Vanderpump honestly was never that popular. She just had, like, a raging army of stands on Twitter, but beyond that, like... I don't think she's really worth that much outside of the Bravo universe. And the same goes for NeNe Leakes on Housewives of Atlanta. Her career is imploding too. I mean, these housewives, they think that they're bigger than the show that they're on, and they aren't. And they act like total divas, and they treat their co-stars like shit, but what goes around comes around, and look at them now. NeNe and Elisa Vanderpump may as well go move to a desert island together. Candy is actually the smartest real housewife because even though she is so successful, I mean, Candy is arguably up there as like, I don't know, top three most successful housewives for sure, or fucking reality stars in general. Like everything Candy touches turns to gold. And she has stayed on the Housewives of Atlanta because she knows that everything she has stems from being on that show. And even Bethany, who I love, (laughs) problematic Bethany, who's like one of my faves, she had to go back to the Housewives of New York um, after her talk show flopped. And even now, like, Bethany has left Housewives again and she was bragging about like, oh, I have the number one podcast in the world. Hillary Clinton's on my podcast. I ranked higher than Hillary Clinton, blah, blah, blah. And like, her podcast has peaked now. Like, it doesn't even chart very well. Like, a lot of podcasts, when they first come out, they do top the charts because the way that the Apple algorithm works, um, they prioritize like uh, subscribers, I think, over actual like downloads and streams. Like getting new subs is what really like boosts you up on the charts. So of course, like when a celebrity launches a podcast, they get a rush of like their fans subscribing and it like takes it to the top of the charts. But then you have to look how a podcast is charting overall in the long run to like really get an idea of how it's doing. And I don't think Bethany even ranks in the top 200 anymore. And yeah, I just feel like her whole podcast, it's just basically considered like another generic celebrity podcast at this point. And it's actually like pretty good. Like I do tune into it here and there just because I like to hear Bethany like go off and have a little rants because she is so fucking funny. But it's hard. Like she's not Joe Rogan. You know what I mean? She's not, um, who else? Dax Shepard. I'm trying to think of other people, celebrities with big podcasts, whatever. Um, I know that she does have her own reality show coming out on HBO Max, but we'll see if that works or not, because I'm wondering if the HBO Max show flops, like, is Bethany going to come back to Bravo? Is Bethany going to come back on The Housewives of New York? I just have so little sympathy for Lisa Vanderpump uh, after all of these years of her, like, refusing to sincerely apologize and, like, pulling the strings and her just her big ego. She better hope that Bravo can salvage Vanderpump rules because beyond that, mm, I don't know what she's going to do. Like, it's just not looking good for her. She does have some dog show on Peacock, Vanderpump Dogs coming out, but that's that's going to be nothing. I have a feeling that... Having a show on Peacock is just going to be like, you know, you have your own show on YouTube or, or like, Crackle. Like, I don't think anyone gives a fuck. Um, She also does have some other dog show. I think she's going to be, like, a judge. She's going to be a judge on, like, I don't know, it's like The Voice for Dogs or something. And Rebel Wilson's hosting it. And that might be a hit because I think that's on, like, ABC. So, that's, like, a commercial... Is that a free-to-air network? I assume it is in America. And she'll actually be good on that because... Lisa is very good in her small doses. You know, you just, you get to see her in her like pink outfit and she gives you one of her like sexual innuendos about how she, you know, wants to fuck her dog or something, which is the same joke she's been telling for about 10 years and, you know, whatever. It's fun. So she'll probably be good on the, on the uh, doggy show with Rebel Wilson. So let's hope that works out for her. 
I don't think we'll see her back on The Housewives of Beverly Hills, though, unless it's, like, maybe a cameo, because, well, she does- she has too much pride to apologise to any of the women, for one. Um, She's, like, 60 now, so she's kind of aged out of the show, and I don't think anyone really is excited to work with her again. Same for Nene, like, there's no way Nene is going to end up back on- Housewives of Atlanta after how she's, like, tried to sue Bravo and everything. Although, Bravo did have Danielle Stoll back on, and I think Danielle had, like, tried to sue them and had been trashing Bravo for years, and they brought her back, so I guess we can never say never. Anyway, shout out to Candy and Teresa for knowing where their bread is buttered and not blowing up a good thing like Vanderpump and Nene did. I was here just trying to see my kids, and I mean- right. Looking for drugs? You don't know about my life. Your brother would have been so disappointed in June. You go, go run your little story. But June. Jennifer and Sugar Bear, whoever you need to talk to. Alana should be with her dad, not Pumpkin. <laughs> Sugar Bear's a deadbeat. You are a piece of. What a loser. You know what I was so excited to watch this past week? Mama June's Road to Redemption. I was literally more excited for the next episode of Mama June than I was for, like, Housewives or anything else. Like, I was actually on all the illegal streaming sites because I don't think there's any way to get it here in Australia um, legally. So I was on, like, you know, all the shady torrent sites trying to find it. I'm like, yes, Mama June's got to be out. And then it's still, like, three days away. Like, that's how keen I was. And, you know, it's, like, amazing how fake this show is. In some of the scenes, it looks like the characters are going to start laughing. Like, they can't even keep a straight face during filming. And normally I hate fake reality shows, but this one is just so bad that it's good. It's kind of like, you know, Birdemic or The Room or Troll 2. If any of you guys are into, like, trash B-movies like I am, you'll know what I'm talking about. The big storyline right now is Mama June's trying to see her kids again now that she's kicked her meth habit. She doesn't actually even know where they live because when she was on a drug bender last season, she sold the family home to pay for drugs and now they don't live in the same state or anything. Like the kids went off and because Honey Boo Boo had to move in with her sister Pumpkin and I don't know where they, I think they live in Alabama or something, but um, they didn't tell Mama June where they moved because they don't want anything to do with her. And this part is all real, by the way, which is like actually quite sad. This is one of the few non-scripted storylines on the show. So last episode, the cliffhanger was Mama June and her boyfriend Gino had to make it to the courthouse in Alabama in time to not violate their probation and go back to jail. So they were scrambling because they got this call that was like, you know, 24 hours, you have to be in the courthouse. And they were like a 10 hour drive away. So they scrambled. They made it in time. They're not in jail. But now Mama June has found out that she has some lymphatic disease thing and she could die. So now the new thing is like it's a race against time for her to get her kids back before she carks it. I'm not sure when they filmed this season, but I did see Mama June on Entertainment Tonight last week and she was like flogging her merch. So she's currently alive and kicking as of now. So, Mama June goes and visits her sister Dodo to try and find out where the kids are. Dodo has these blinding white veneers. She must have got a deal to have a free smile makeover from, like, Star Magazine or something, because there's no way that she had these fucking teeth before she got on reality TV. Like, not a chance. So, it's kind of like... She has, like, hillbilly vibes. I do love her, by the way. Love me some Dodo. But she sort of looks like a hillbilly with, like, big fake veneers. So, after meeting Dodo, Mama June calls Dr. Ish and asks him to facilitate a meeting between her and the kids. Dr. Ish is the therapist from Marriage Boot Camp, of course, which is also on WeTV. He kind of plays Mama June's, like, foe because... He's always trying to hold Mama June accountable for her, like, drug habits and stuff, and obviously she doesn't like that. Um, Not much is going on storyline-wise with Pumpkin and Honey Boo Boo. They're just trying to lose weight, so they were, like, working out in the backyard. And, you know, you know on these reality shows, whenever um people try to work out, like, it, it's always, like, funny, like, they're, like, falling over and stuff, so they just did some of that, some comedy bits while they 
while they were doing some squats. And uh, there's more action with Honey Boo Boo's dad, Sugar Bear. He has his own storyline with his wife, Jennifer. Jennifer is just this, like, morbidly obese, very mean hillbilly, and Sugar Bear is a toothless hick who can hardly speak. Like, they actually have to put subtitles for him because he can't even talk properly. So, Jennifer and Sugar Bear meet up with uh, Sugar Bear's sister, I think it is, at some diner, and they order, like, powdered fried donuts and milkshakes and cakes, like, heart attack on a plate. And Jennifer's like, Sugar Bear, you're diabetic, you can't be eating that! And then Sugar Bear excuses himself uh, to go to the bathroom. And after a while, it's like, he's been gone for a while. And, you know, Jennifer's like, you know, I better go check on Sugar Bear. And then she goes into, like, the bathroom and Sugar Bear is passed out in the toilet from, you know, the sugar rush because he's he's got diabetes or something. It's completely fake. There's not even anybody in the diner. Like, they must have filmed this on a day off when, like, the diner wasn't even open. There's, like, nobody there. And um, they actually try to make the show look real all the time by breaking the fourth wall. And they show the cast, like, talking to the producers or they'll show the cameramen, like in shot but that's all fake too which is funny like they have interactions with the producers that it's meant to make it look real and then that makes me think was um teen mom og if anyone's a teen mom fan i haven't seen like all the teen mom but i have seen like seasons here and there and they kind of pioneered that breaking the fourth wall where they made the producers part of the show and it made it more real and now i'm like hang on wait was that all fake on teen mom as well because this is definitely fake anyway i love this show like i cannot wait for the next episode and i wish i'd gotten into it sooner to be honest like i might actually have to go back and watch the whole mama june anthology like uh, mama june family crisis mama june from not to hot like This shit is better than Bravo right now. I also watched the first two episodes of Keeping Up With The Kardashians. I don't normally watch this show, but it's like their final season, so I was curious and I jumped in, and this show is literally so fucking boring. I do not know how it lasted for 20 seasons, because nothing happens on this show. It's so dull. I do get why girls like it, because the fashion and the lifestyle stuff, like, it is pretty aspirational and it's nice to watch. Like, it is cool kind of seeing how rich they are and how they live their life. And because they're sisters, they do have that intimate family dynamic that's, like, kind of nice to watch. And, you know, other reality shows don't have that. But, like, 20 seasons of this? It's good for, like, five minutes. It's, like... Five minutes, you get to see, you know, their nice house, you get to see what everyone's wearing, then it's boring as fuck after that. You know what, though? The intro music for this show is really good. It's this, like, melancholy piano, and then they play old, fuzzy, like, home movie footage of the family, and it makes you feel really nostalgic. I don't even watch this show, and every time the intro plays, it just, like, hits me in the feels, and I start reflecting on my own life, and suddenly I feel very connected to the Kardashians. Then the episode starts and it's back to Snoozeville. So, a couple of things I noticed from watching this show. First of all, Kylie is barely in it. I don't know if this is a regular thing or not, but I barely saw her. They showed some, like, footage of her on the set of the WAP music video. That was it. I didn't see her, like, hanging out with the family. I mean, I didn't finish both episodes because I just couldn't get through them, but I didn't see her featured besides hanging out with Cardi B. Um... Chloe and Kim actually are, like, the entire show. They don't even show the others that much. It's I would say it's primarily Chloe, then some Kim, and then it's like you get, like, a flash of the other girls. Now, I was shocked to see Chloe's real face, okay? Because I don't watch the show regularly, so I'm kind of like... I guess the image I have of her is the airbrushed Instagram face, not her actual face, and it's very jarring. Obviously, I know that her Instagram isn't, you know, that it's all edited and stuff, but because that is what I normally see, it's I guess that's kind of the default image of her that I have, even though I know that it's fake. And, um... You know, one of the funniest things I've ever seen in my entire life is when Chloe went viral for airbrushing herself in that selfie. Do you remember? You all would have seen this photo because it went mega viral. She facetuned herself so much, she was completely unrecognizable. She was even prettier than Kendall, who is a world renowned supermodel. And I'm not saying that she's unattractive in real life, I'm just saying that she does not look like her Instagram. And it was shocking to see her out in the wild on this show. And this is with, like, professional lighting and makeup and glam and everything. So, 
I wonder what she actually looks like without all of that. Um, and she must spend so much money on hair and glam, like more than even Erica Jane does, because every scene on Keeping Up with the Kardashians, Chloe had on a different wig and outfit. She was very overstyled, very Dorit Kemsley. It was just like, like they would cut to a new scene and she has like completely different hair and clothes and everything. Uh, I really like Courtney, but she was barely in it. So I don't even have anything to say about her. I do love Kim Kardashian just in general. Like I've always been a Kim fan. I like what she does politically and, um, I don't know, just a fan of her. I think she's awesome. Uh, On the show, she's still studying to be a lawyer. One thing I did notice was her very weird interactions with Kanye. So, when they filmed this season, Kim and Kanye, I guess they were still together. And in episode two, Kim is on the phone trying to reach him. And Kanye, he's like out at his ranch in Wyoming hanging out. And what's strange about it is, like, we see Kim on the phone, but she's talking to some middleman instead of Kanye directly. Like, it has to be, I don't know, Kanye's assistant or something. And and she's talking to this assistant like she would be talking to Kanye. She's, like, relaying all this information. It's like, why wouldn't you just call your husband and be like, dude, you know, I'm worried about your tweets? Because she does mention that she's sort of worried about his, like, you know, bipolar tweet storms and everything. But, yeah, she's all going through this assistant or something. And I was just thinking, is this how, like, Hollywood marriages are? Like, do you just go through assistants and minders and an entourage just to schedule dinner with your significant other? Like, is this normal or is this just a Kim and Kanye situation? But I found that very strange. And the way that she speaks about Kanye, I have noticed this before when I have dipped into the show here and there, or I've watched some clips on YouTube. She's basically like a mother figure to him. Like, it's like she's constantly trying to get control of this child. And that's got to be a lot on her. So, I think she'll probably be a lot better cutting him loose. Like, I did think that they had a cute relationship, but it wasn't even. It was very like... Yeah, it really turned into, like, a mother-son thing, I think, towards the end. So, anyway, unlike Mama June, I will not be watching the rest of the Kardashians. It's pretty horrible. Uh, If anything juicy happens, I'll, like, catch up on YouTube or something, and maybe I'll talk about it here, but I just cannot sit through an entire season of this fucking show. Okay, a couple of other things. Um, A supposed Andy Cohen dick pic leaked the other day. I posted about it on my Instagram stories. I didn't share links or anything to it, but I just said that it had leaked because I saw it on Twitter and I told you all to go look it up for yourself if you wanted to. Uh, I don't know if it's officially confirmed. If it's him, you couldn't see his head. It looked like his body for sure. His body looks good. I swear on Twitter, people were acting like, you know, they weren't impressed and everything. It's like he had a normal body. Like he looked pretty good. It's like the standards, I feel like for dick pics and stuff, it's way too extreme. Like not everyone has a fucking nine inch big wang. So I don't know what you're expecting. Like you expect porno dicks on like every single guy. It's kind of ridiculous. Um, It's like expecting every woman to have big porno titties, like, you know, triple G cup size or something. Uh, His penis looked fine to me. His body looked fine. You know, he's a little short for me, just in his stature. I think, what is Andy Cohen? Like five foot two or something. So, even though he's attractive, I don't know if I'd bang him in real life because height is important to me. But the dick shaming was just a little absurd because he definitely did not have a micro penis. He had a nice, a normal sized penis from what I could see. Um, so I don't know what people were banging on about. Also, are you guys following this Emily Ratajkowski baby gender thing? This is pretty fucking funny. So Emily is, I don't know if she's more of an actress or a model. She's like very attractive and She's, like, a big feminist. She's one of those feminists that's, like, really hot and they're always getting naked. Like, you know, I'm proud of my body. Like, I'm not ashamed. And then, you know, walking around like a little G-string and stuff. That's sort of her main shtick. So, she was pregnant and she did a thing in Vogue and uh, she made this big deal about (laughs) about a baby's gender. So... This was classic virtue signaling. She was like, uh, you know, when people ask me about my baby's gender, uh, you know, we like to respond that we won't know the gender until our child is 18 and that they'll let us know then. So she's making this whole thing of like everyone's genderless and her child's not going to know the gender until they're 18. Well, she gave birth to a boy and 
what is the baby's name? I'm trying to... It's like Sylvester or something. Uh, that could be wrong. Sebastian. Wait, no, that's her husband. Wait, let me find this fucking baby's name. Radikowski. Sorry, I'm reading like an article. Blah, blah, blah. Her husband, Sebastian. Oh, it is Sylvester. The baby's name, Sylvester Apollo Bear. That's a pretty masculine name, right? Sylvester Apollo Bear. It's a very manly name. Uh, she posted a picture of herself breastfeeding the baby. She's one of those people that post breastfeeding photos as if it's like a radical statement. You know, like, I'm going to breastfeed and I'm not embarrassed about it. It's like, good for you. Like, breastfeed. No one's upset. Like, no one's angry. And then she wrote, beautiful boy in the caption. So everyone's like, hang on, I thought the baby couldn't gender itself until it was 18. Now you're calling it a boy and you've given it a very masculine name. So the internet has sort of run wild with this, making fun of her. And then she hit back on her Instagram and she went, please read my full essay on gender and expecting rather than the clickbait headlines media pushes out. Girl, shut up. We know what you were doing. You were virtue signaling, acting like, my baby doesn't have a gender. And then you totally forgot you were doing that because you're not even committed to it. And you confirmed that you had a son, which you did. Uh, so that's just pretty funny. Is anything else going on? Um, I'm looking through my notes. Oh, Olivia Jade is back. You know, Olivia Jade, she is the daughter of um, Laurie Laughlin, who did the college admissions scandal. Olivia Jade is back to influencing full-time. She actually seems to be more popular than ever, which is annoying. And she said something about how she was publicly shamed. Well, I'm glad you were publicly shamed. You deserve to be publicly shamed. Your entire family does, you know. People talk a lot about, like, you know, white privilege and privilege and all this stuff now. Well, they're like the poster children for that. And Olivia Jade has zero talent. Doing a travel vlog on YouTube is not a talent or a skill. I mean, maybe it is for some people. For Olivia Jade, it's not because her content is a cut and paste of every single model influencer you've ever seen. She's certainly not standing out from the pack or doing anything different. So I wish they would go away. I will never support Olivia Jade. I will never support Laurie Laughlin. I hate what their entire family represents and what they stand for, even if they didn't mean to do it. Like, I just have zero sympathy for them. And they're all rich and attractive and they'll be fine in life. Like they don't, they don't have to have like Lori Laughlin already has her millions of dollars from her acting career. Like she's, she's fine. She's had her career. Olivia Jade can get a real job. She doesn't need to be an influencer. They're not going to be out on the street. They're not hard done by just go away. You guys will be fine. I hate you. Yeah. I think that's about it for this week. So thank you so much for listening. Remember you can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at UnpopularJP. If you would like to support the show, uh, please hit me up on buymeacoffee.com slash UnpopularJP. You can shout me some coffee there and it goes towards covering costs of the show. I might be back with another episode this week. It's still not confirmed. Uh, I'm going to interview a reality person that I'm actually good friends with. So we're trying to line up the schedule tomorrow. So if she can make it tomorrow, um, I'm going to record the episode and I'll do a little fresh intro. So you have something else besides the interview to listen to as well. But if we don't get to it, I will be back uh, next Monday. So yeah, thanks a lot for listening guys. Bye.